welcome to the Motorsport Coaching Podcast, sponsored by Motivate Training and Management. This is a podcast where we talk to drivers and industry experts to help you maximize your performances on and off the track. Let's get started with today's show. Hi guys, and welcome to episode 25 of the Motorsport Coaching Podcast. I am your host, Belinda Risley. It's the last one for the year. I hope you all have had a very exciting 2018 and have already started planning 2019. To help you start, I'm talking today to Damon Hill from the Signature Series Group. We're going to be talking everything to do with sponsorship proposals. And at the end, we'll be talking about our new workshop starting January 19th in Melbourne. Now going into the Christmas break, it's a great time to go back and listen to some of the old episodes. So if you're wanting to catch up with everything to do with sponsorship, um, we have episode 22 to do with sponsorship agreements, episode 19, activations with the lovely Beck Burns, and episode number 12 with Poor Man to do with budgets. Of course, going into the new year, if there's anything specific you'd like to hear, go to our website, motivatetraining.com.au leave a review and send us a request about topics you'd love to know more about, whether it's interviewing drivers, whether it's more of behind the scenes that you wanted to do, sorry, to hear more about pit crews or anything like that. Let us know so I can try and get some guests on for you. Other than that, I hope to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I do hope you're finding some value in them and I hope they're getting better. (laughs) As most of you know, this is way out of my skill set and comfort zone. And as you can hear from this intro today, Anyway, just trying to keep it real. We do have a very exciting 2019 coming up. We've got some fantastic guests. We've got brand new sponsors starting from January 1. We're starting off the brand new year with Todd Hazelwood. We have Dan Mitzma, who's going to talk about social media. We've got Ryan Mobilia talking about branding and storytelling and how to showcase that. They're the first three coming up in the new year and lots, lots more guests. Um, Again, guys, have a very Merry Christmas and a safe New Year. So, welcome to the show, Damon. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on, Bea. Well, I'm very excited to hear about your story into commercial partnerships in motorsport. How did you get started? So, I mean, like I think, you know, um, just a quick sort of step back, you know, I've been a racer since I was seven, grew up in a family of racers, you know, left school, when I finished school, I should say, and, you know, always worked in motorsport and then, um, you know, went to, you know, took the next step to Europe and the USA, um, you know, in my early 20s, you know, and um, sort of, you know, learned, uh, again, that sort of next level, if you like, about motorsport. Mm-hmm. You know, after sort of doing all that, you know, when I came back from there, I saw, I saw you know, a need perhaps for a different approach on the way, you know, we were going about sponsorship and just the commercial things within the sport here in in Australia. And um, I think, you know, that combined with perhaps some of my challenges as a young, you know, teen or, or you know, whatever in, in karting and, and, you know, dreaming of going to that next step but not having any of the sort of tools or, or knowledge to understand and, and really there wasn't that many resources around to do that. So that was another big sort of reason behind, you know, putting the knowledge I'd learned together because I thought, you know what, there's... People need to know this, you know, they need to understand it so they can get to the next level. Yeah. And were you racing overseas, like you're saying, in Europe and America? Or was that for holidays or study? Or... 
No, no, that was all um, that was all working within the motorsport industry. So um, I worked um, at Silverstone for a little while in the UK. There didn't really enjoy that, to be honest. But that's where my opportunity came to go to the US and to Indianapolis, and um, and I worked there for four years within the motorsport industry and fundamentally IndyCar and NASCAR. Yeah, and you've just come back recently from Indy. What were you, what was your role over there? Yeah, I um, obviously have a pretty strong network over there. have been, as I said, my initial times over there was sort of 2000, so it was a long time ago. And I go back every year and work the Indy 500. And so I've kept my, you know, my relationship and stuff up with, you know, with many of the contacts and made many, many new ones on the journey. And, and so I was over there actually working with a client of mine that's looking to race the 500 in 2019. And you know, there's a fair bit of work that goes into that, obviously, uh, even to just be eligible, you know, to uh, to be able to participate or qualify. So that's from, I guess, a, uh, an infrastructure standpoint from licensing and all that aspects. But then, um, you know, the significant role was to set them up commercially and, you know, get all their, uh, their ducks in a row with regards to their brand and their story and, you know, who, you know, who, who it was going to ring true to. So, you know, we've started to build that uh, network for them and get them in a good position. Very exciting. Was it an Australian driver? No, it was not an Australian driver. <laughs> I can confirm it was an American driver. Uh, and I'd love to hear, what's the process in getting a licence and, and applying? I thought anyone could. So, yeah, I'd love to hear. No, it's, um, well, it's actually become a lot more stringent um, in in the very recent times. I mean, I guess ultimately, yes, you're, I mean, you, you are correct in the past. If, if you had the money, so to speak, and, you know, put the opportunity together with a team, you didn't really, you know, you just needed to go through what they call um, rookie orientation there at the Speedway. And then if you pass the orientation, which was, you know, sort of a multi-stage process at the Speedway, then they would allow you to qualify. And then obviously, you know, you, you needed to qualify. Now there's actually a lot more criteria in place as in what is your, you know, what's your history in racing? You, you know, you have to have a certain, like they're almost rating it like the FIA with regards to, it's called experience points or whatever, and they've got different series that they rate differently and, you know, things that they want you to have attained within those series, not necessarily results. It's not about necessarily winning championships, but it's a really from an experience perspective. And it's fundamentally drawn on to make sure that the drivers that are going out there have a level of skill. I mean, everything happens pretty fast, 240 mile an hour. So, it's one of those places where I think, you know, it's, they've just really cracked down on it because there is no margin for error there. And, and you know, and at the end of the day, they want to keep their drivers safe. You know, and there's been some big accidents lately and, you know, drivers have been seriously hurt through it. And, um, yeah, they just need to continue to evolve. Oh, wow, that's really interesting to hear. I guess uh, from the industry perspective, they're just wanting to make sure they've got the right competitive drivers out on the track for the big event. Yeah, look, I mean... Yeah, absolutely. And I think the demand, you know, for the last, oh, look, I mean, you know, if you go back in, you know, for that event, um, you know, being probably the single biggest motorsport, well, it is, it is the single biggest one day sporting event in the world with over 300,000 people in attendance. You know, in the past, obviously, com, you know, with and the commercial climate, sometimes they've had to help promote to get a full, a full field, you know, in the, in the, you know, early 2000s and, 
you know, just because of those challenges where now um, the economy is pretty good in, in the US and it's not a challenge and you've got drivers like uh, Alonso and, you know, other big players wanting to come over. So they're not going to be challenged to get 33 cars on the grid anymore. Mm. So what they're really, their challenge is just to put out the best, the best product. And um, that is, you know, bring the highest quality drivers you can to, to the event. So. Yeah, and so David, oh, through your experience, you say um, working at Silverstone and obviously Silverstone, and um, at Indy, what are some of the differences, if any, about international sponsorship and, and seeking sponsorship overseas? Is, is it easier, do you think, or harder, or what's your feeling? I, I don't. I mean, I think I don't think it's necessarily harder from the standpoint of. Well, let me reframe that. It's probably you know the harder in countries that are smaller like us and I mean smaller within regards to you know um, just our you know the amount of people we have and and the amount of businesses we have I mean that really dictates if it's easy or or, or not easy but if you know the level of difficulty I mean obviously if you're in Europe you have a lot more uh, a lot more big companies that are at a level that can can play um, in that space mm. if you're in uh, you know so, and you know, I'll just stick on IndyCar for a second, you know, like to run an IndyCar for a year, it's $7 million. Now, North America is a big country. So there's plenty of places that can, there's plenty of companies that can certainly play at that level. Now, when we come here to Australia, if we use that as an example, you know, to run a competitive supercar, you're at, you know, a bare minimum of two and a half million dollars <throat> for an operation that's already, you know, sort of now, and then we're competing against, and we're such a sport, you know, heavy country you know we're competing against the crickets and the football codes and you know all those other codes too which are more well known and perhaps you know in some ways present well it's you know better slash different you know opportunities but we still only have a quite a small commercial base with regards to businesses that can afford to plop you know invest at that type of scale and then that's irrelevance in in you know the product we're putting out there so i think i think that the process remains the same doesn't matter i mean you've got to have best practice sort of sponsorship processes in place which wherever you are it's it's irrelevant whatever language you speak or you know that's just a, you know, an expectation now from companies as to how people go about managing and delivering the benefits of, of a sponsorship relationship so I, I don't think it changes we just you know we're just challenged by the you know the commercial uh platform that we're in mm. and what are your thoughts about competitors seeking local businesses sponsorship for a national based competition do you think there's a pros and cons to that look i think like i think it's harder for example like if you if you're seeking sponsorship from your local butcher for them to get national exposure when they're not really going to get that return on investment because you know someone from shepparton isn't going to go buy meats from townsville uh, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. It's 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 the it's how many places can that potential partner leverage? You know, so um, you know to use your example in a in a local city or town or whatever. If you're, I mean, if if your events, you know, obviously are just focused in that area, then clearly, you know, I mean, if we use go karting as an as an example here, and that's where the club's based, and you're doing a dozen meetings a year, and so that that potential sponsor has the opportunity to 
leverage that relationship, you know, uh, in whichever way they see fit a dozen times a year, that's very different to perhaps a series that, you know, we might say Toyota 86 series, let's say, and like any other series, they're on a national, as you said, on a national level. So maybe they only come by that area or that, that region, you know, once once during the year and you know the media and there's a lot of things attributes potentially that that sponsorship has that aren't really relevant at that point in time now what there is and i think what's important for people to remember is that if if you are based in that area that there's all the things you can do outside of the actual event itself you know that can be continue you know that can continually be done in between events and all those things and and that's that's where you have to focus in that situation and take the emphasis off. Uh, I mean, the emphasis shouldn't just be on the branding anyway. It's such a small part of sponsorship these days. But, you know, really look at the other resources that you do have that are going to directly add value to that sponsor and say, okay, you know, let's not focus so much on, on you know, how many people are at events and all this type of stuff that's not really relevant. Let's focus on what do we do? Do we sit, you know, do we sit here and do half a dozen promotions? motions a year directly and have the race car at your, at your you know venue and with local papers and all that stuff that can be done that adds direct value so it's it's horses for courses i think um and you've just really got to think about what's what's going to work so i mean that book that, that local business or butcher um or you know whoever it is you know could certainly get x amount of value out of it it's just in a different format than than a, a standard okay well you know we're just going to market your brand nationally which you know is a big part of obviously what a national company would look would look for so yes and do you have any tips about making connections i think that's the biggest question that i i get in on the facebook pages it's around about you know how do i know who to contact <laughs> yeah um it's it's one of those things that you know you almost need to take a step back and look into who you're relevant to and understand your brand and, and that type of stuff prior to trying to then make that decision of, you know, where am I going to, you know, where am I going to go out to? Because that will almost determine who you should be contacting and, and, or, you know, who's going to have at least a level of interest. And there's, there's a logical reason that you guys should be having a conversation. And then we, you know, I mean, you can work depending on, if you're looking on a national scale or, or local, I mean, clearly if you're looking on local, you know, you can even get down to old school hitting the pavement and, and doing it, you know, with a bit of a targeted approach as to who whose doors you're pounding on. If you're going to do national or even international, depending on, again, what the, what the opportunity is, then clearly you need to use tools like, you know, like LinkedIn and, and those type of tools. But you have a clear defined path on okay, it's these industry sectors and then the companies that fall within these industry sectors are more likely to be interested in the, you know, the product that, um, on, and the opportunity that we're bringing, that we're bringing to the table. So, you know, again, it's, it's about that research up front and really understanding and, and not trying to fit a you know, square peg in a round hole, which just, you know, you can hit it as hard as you want all day long and you can run around and open every door all day long, but, you know, you're going to waste a lot of time. Yeah, and obviously we can talk about lots of different things when it comes to sponsorship, but today I'd love to focus on about the sponsorship proposal. And so what are your thoughts around a proposal? How important do you think it is? I, I mean, I think it's, it's, 
I'm not going to say it's it's the most important. It's equally important, which is it's it, it shares equal number one importance with probably three or four other things. If I'm allowed to, uh, if I'm allowed to say it like that, I mean, ultimately, you know, I've built a business around it. You know, you also have built a business around you know teaching you know best practice amongst others. You know, we're not the only ones out there in the industry here trying to to, to obviously do that, and that's because there is a need and. and and that's really been driven by companies as sponsorship evolves so quickly. Um, and so being able to understand the changes in what companies are looking for and then present that into a proposal is, is massively important. And I mean, it literally is, you know, it's, it's changing yearly, you know, as, and evolving as companies get smarter and what they want to see and, and whatever. So I think, you know, I think having a, having an up-to-date and clear understanding of, of a sponsorship proposal, being able to, you know, get your message across quickly and is, is key. Um, you know, you only get, you know, you probably only get 10 seconds or so to actually make that impression um, that you are, you know, professional and you know what you're doing for that potential sponsor or the, the person reading it, the marketing manager or the sponsorship manager. So, you know, you need to position yourself quickly in that space in that space that you are you know a professional and what you've got is is something worth reading on and and that's where you know having a having a proposal that is succinct is clear is logical in its methodology of how you've laid it out and you've thought about more so perhaps what the potential sponsor wants rather than what you want which is the single biggest thing people get wrong is is key is key yeah and do you think most of the content should be in the actual proposal itself or in the cover letter? The question, mm. the ask, the, re the request of, of the sponsorship? I think, you know, for, for me, the sort of process of it is I have actually gone away. So, you know, in, in our business here, what we do is we help, we help people create what I call sponsorship overview documents initially. And so effectively, that's that document that, because you've got to remember at this point in time, you don't actually know what that sponsor wants. So I guess the answer to the question B with regards to that is in that, in the document is just going to be that sort of sharp, succinct eight to 10 pages, which hits on key points that, uh, that aren't tailored. You know, at that point in time, it's not tailored. It's just key points that can keep, that show that it's a quality opportunity. With that, you know, the, intro, the introduction, I think it's, it's a process, you know, you, you talk about a letter or an email or whatever, and, and there's no doubt that has to go along with it. But there's also those two or three steps before where you've built building rapport with that person, even before sending it out. So, I mean, if I don't recommend to anyone sort of just having a name and then sending completely cold, you know, without any type of conversation in some way shape or form beforehand sending out a letter and uh you know and a um, sponsorship document because it's just you know you you're going you're going so deep and, and asking something that has no idea who you are so quite often you know a little bit of legwork what it does is it allows you to build rapport so then they're expecting to see it and and it goes on from there and you've got a far better chance of them reading it and then if you've got that great document they've actually given it the time to go oh you know he sent me this and, you know, she said she was going to send it to me. Yes, I'm expecting it. Oh, yeah, that's interesting and so on and so forth. And, and it just increases your chances of going through that process um, to, to get a chance to sit down with them and find out what it is they want um, far greater. Otherwise, you just don't get past the, as we know, you know, you don't get responses for your, from your emails. And that's just, it's almost like 
shell shock. I think that's when people try and jam professionals in there too, uh, sorry, um, proposals in there too quickly. And they just, you know, they haven't sort of earned their stripes and, and shown that they respect that person's time to get them to, you know, spend time to look at what they want. Yeah. And so if a competitor is looking to create a proposal themselves, what are some things they need to consider to include? What do they need to know before creating a proposal? <laughs> well, look, we touched, we touched on it, you know, very briefly. I think the most important thing a competitor can do straight up is understand their brand and their product and what it is they're offering. So even, you know, prior, you know, it's hard to put stuff into a proposal if you don't actually understand fully what it is you're offering. Um, it's actually almost impossible. So step one always has to be to, to go through and understand really who, you know, what your brand is and what your brand offers. Then you move into, into the proposal. And I think, you know, first stages are just clearly defining the, 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 you know, the strengths and attributes of what the opportunity offers and just, you know, talking it up, you know, uh, without sort of rambling on too much, which, I think I'm probably guilty of right here. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I mean, again, you, you've you've got to you've got to be quick. You've got to be you know punchy and just get those details out there to keep them keep them interested. And so, yeah, don't ramble on. Don't ramble on is is the biggest key. And have you know a clear path. Like we have a a structure, you know, in the way we do every sponsorship proposal. So it, there's a logic from page to page to page. You know, there's a logic to the length. Um, you know, all those aspects, you know, we think about to just give it the optimum chance of, of success. So, um, and I, you know, one of the, one of the great books out there that I would honestly recommend to anybody that's, you know, that's interested and just wants to learn some more about those basics is a book uh, written by someone that's a little bit of a mentor of mine, to be honest, and she's just fantastic in the sponsorship industry. And her name um, is Kim Skildon Reed, and it's um, the Sponsorship Seekers Toolkit, um, fourth edition that she wrote. And, um, you know, the logic that's in that book from anyone, I don't care if you're a, a you know, a 10, you know, 10 years of age or, or, you know, 50 years of age, you know, I, I would, it's, it's, it's a great, great way for people to learn how to rethink or think about, you know, going about sponsorship. Fantastic. Thanks for that tip. I'll put that recommendations in today's show notes. So if anyone's looking for it, um, head over to iTunes um, and look up Most Sport Coaching and you'll find today's show notes and the link to Kim's toolkit. Yeah. <laughs> so, David, what happens when they say, yes, we're interested? What's the next process? Well, after you've, after you've, you know, celebrated this great and glorious, you know, success of getting a sponsor, um, then ultimately, yeah, it's, it's about knuckling down and putting a process in place to execute on, on the key, the key deliverables and, and what it is that that sponsor, what their objectives are. So, you know, very quickly, you just need to sit down and go, okay, the objectives are this, this is why they've partnered with us. What are we going to do? Um, and this is a conversation you have with the sponsor, by the way. This isn't something you need to sit there and, and sort out wholly and solely. It's sit down and go, okay, how are we going to execute on this? You know, it's not overly difficult, you know, because the sponsor's going to know what they want and you're going to know what you can do and deliver. And then there's going to be all the other stuff in between. So it's getting that game plan clearly written down. And so nobody 
gets confused on either side as to what, you know, what the other expects of them. And so just get that clear picture down and a game plan and stick to it. And, you know, I think that alone will provide a, a very strong level of success in the sponsorship, you know, for the bits that you can control. Mm. Agree 100%. And what about if they say no? Do you have any um, tips or tricks about overcoming objectives and on how to look after or nurture the, the contact at that stage? Yeah, look, I think, yes, I do. I mean, I do. I think, I think um, too frequently as sponsorship seekers, we get a no and then we just walk away when really a no is honestly just depending on where you know where it is in the in the conversation i mean it's going to be a natural i guess answer initially from someone is oh i'm not sure no you know like you can't expect that they're going to fall in love with it the minute it turns on their on their desk so you have to go through that process so handling objections and and you know looping back around and sort of worst thing you can do is front load i think your sponsorship proposal and by that i mean the worst thing you can do is put everything out there and then have nowhere to go because what you need to do is reaffirm with that person or go back and understand why they're saying no is it is it because they don't have funding is it because they're unsure of you know how they can make it work you know there's a all myriad of things there a lot of the time you know short of it just purely being it could because if you've already vetted the people that you're going to, then you know you've got something that's of value at a level to them. So maybe it needs to be re-explained and talked about in a slightly different manner. So, so no's are quite often just easy ways to deflect, I really don't have time to talk about it or I, I can't focus it. So respectfully, you need to try and ask that next question, go, okay, but, you know, understand you know what you're saying to me but do you like the idea of what i'm proposing and then normally that will bring out some more reasoning behind what what was that no and if they're just like no b i don't like what you're proposing i'm not interested thanks go away then okay that's probably end of story but normally that they'll just be like look i, I just you know i don't have time right now or i can't think about it. okay and now you understand what the objection is and you can work around it. So it's not a no, I don't like what you got. It's just, hey, you know, there's some other things we're going to work around at the moment. And then you continue to do that. And there's been, I promise you, there's over my years of doing this, there's been sponsorships that I've closed that I would honestly say I've had three or four no's on the journey. And by understanding the no's and, and helping them come up with solutions to those no's, they ended up saying yes and getting something that was really valuable to them, you know, that they actually got a lot of value out of. So no doesn't always mean no. No, that's right. And they say it takes around like seven to nine touch points in order to make a sale. So it's very similar when it comes to gaining sponsorship as well, um, that connection. And, and it's forever like nurturing the prospect as well through different means. Um, I always try and recommend the guys and girls to, to keep them in, in the loop to communicate with the prospect through, you know, um, race updates, newsletters, you know, emails and stuff like that just to keep that conversation going over and over yeah no i absolutely agree i mean a, a ceo of a company many moons ago but just made a comment to me and I've, it's stuck with me ever since and it said and his comment was the squeaky wheel gets the attention mm -hmm. it's true you know i mean 
if you're out there and you're communicating, you know, whatever the new, whatever the news is, as as far as, but if you're just in front of people, some people do a really good job of that, and and then when you do approach that potential sponsor or whatever, you're already, you know, two or three steps down that down that line of they feel like they know you a little bit. They've read, they've seen you, you know, they've they've read little bits here and there maybe about you before you'd even met them. So communicating with the corporate market in some way, shape or form via tools like LinkedIn and things like that, I, I believe is in, invaluable because you never know when that person's going to enter into your world and then, you know, oh yeah, I read something about you, you know, 12 months ago or whatever and, and now there's a, automatically a level of rapport so it's not a cold, you know, what you thought was a cold entrance isn't, you know. Mm. Obviously, Dan, you and I could talk all day about sponsorship. It's one of our favourite subjects. <laughs> it is Absolutely. our LLB. Um, Dan, tell us a little bit about um, Signature Series Group. Um, what do you guys actually do? Is it just sponsorship? And how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, um, look, absolutely. I mean, we are 100% focused on sponsorship and that's across, you know, uh, sports um, as well as, you know, things like festivals and causes and all those things. We do, we basically work with with brands or, or assets to just go through those those basic best practice things, you know, understand what where your values are and, and what you are. Create and work on creating a document that aligns and best showcases all those values and attributes, you know, help with regards to processes in, in making and building your network in those key areas that are going to be important in those relationships. We, I mean, we also, to be honest, we also work on the other side, you know, we work for companies as well and, and, you know, spin it around 180 degrees where companies will have objectives and they're like, okay, how do we, how do we know, if there's an asset out there that's going to best align with our objectives as a company. So we do work sort of, we do go both, both ways in the stream and it's been great. You know, and as, as you said, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not only a business for me, I love it. And so we do it all day, every day. And yeah, I mean, if anybody's interested in, in even just having a chat, I mean, you can, I'm like you, I love to have a chat about sponsorship. Um, I can jump on our website, signatureseriesgroup.com you know, and just make a time and I'd be more than happy to talk to anyone about any questions they have about sponsorship. And, and um, I just think that the more that as, as sponsorship seekers or sponsees that we, we can impart knowledge uh, on them at some level and to do it better and do it a little bit smarter, it actually brings the whole industry up as far as, you know, sponsorship is a very valuable tool to companies when done right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I always say if we don't have sponsors, we don't have a sport. So that's why <laughs> we invested a lot of time and money into it. Talking about questions, I put it on my Facebook group. Did anyone have any questions for you? And I've got some for you. Surprise. <laughs> there you go. So Matt Payne, our friend who we've had on here as a guest before. I know Matt. Uh, yes, <laughs> has asked, how hard is it to keep composure as an Indy 500 spotter? <laughs> it has its moments it's it's funny matt was there a couple of years ago with crusher and matt, maddie brabham uh, obviously for the entry and i was working with a different team at the time and uh, i was with andretti's and yeah so matt and i have, have, have spent time at the track together and, and look it's a good question it's very you know you, you have to have 100 percent focus like it's probably one of the if i think about my day-to-day -day life you know i'm always thinking of two or three things or whatever 
I can categorically say when I go up in that spotter stand, uh, you know, for a driver and for a team, there is absolutely zero room for anything else in your mind. Because, so is it hard? No, it's just very, very focused, you know, because you have someone else's life in your hands. And I don't think that's overstating the fact, you know, that there's some, and I put a couple of pictures up over the journey of some of the things that I've had to look at coming down the back straight of the 500, you know, like five wide with my driver in the middle and, you know, and you're trying to make decisions and these cars are doing 240 mile an hour and, and you're trying to stay at, you know, kind of ahead and see what's going to happen. So it's a great question, Matt. And my answer to it is if you stay focused, it's a very, very rewarding uh, job. And, and, you know, and I'm very proud to say that over all the years that I've done it, uh, most years I finished and the only years that I haven't finished have been due to mechanical breakdown. So I believe that my record as a spotter of not crashing a driver is still touch wood. And I hope I haven't jinxed myself for 2019 is still, un, you know, untarnished. And that's, you know, that's, that's all we can do as, as, you know, different parts of the t- as team members. That's my job is to keep that driver out of trouble and out of accidents and then maybe help for the performance, you know, down the, down the track, which, um, I was lucky enough in 2017 to, to win that race with Takuma Sato. So that was a lifelong goal, goal for me. So, yeah, it's very rewarding. Fantastic. Well, Matt, it's got one more question. Uh, what are the secrets to being a spotter but also balance commercial sponsorship understandings at an event like the Indy 500? Secrets to being a spotter? I'll answer that. It's a sort of a two-part question, I guess. Look, the secrets to being a spotter is just you've got to know the right people and be in the right place at the right time and... And as I said early in the in our discussion here, you know, I'd been in the US since 2000, so and I was working in IndyCar, so I I made relationships, and I wasn't a spotter, you know, that wasn't my job back then, but I made relationships with people in key in key positions, and then actually the opportunity came up, and there's actually a little, little very quick little story to this. Back in I think it was 2000, a the first Indian American um, IndyCar driver, Corey Witherell. Uh, was in the race and it was a last minute put together deal and so we supplied a lot of the parts and stuff the company I was working for and they needed a crew like they literally did not have a crew and this was three weeks this was you know in the first week of May uh, two weeks before the event and so all of us from the shop that I was working in North American race parts at the time were like okay and most of the guys that had experience in IndyCar you know in some way shape or form and that was my first experience of actually working on a team directly during a race uh and I actually did pit board which was in that little channel you know at Indy where you've got the little channel between pit lane and uh which they now don't let anyone go out there and let me just assure you for anyone that doesn't think that standing a foot away from a car doing 240 mile an hour does not make the hair stand up on the back of your neck that way you don't have any <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's amazing. So that's how I got into that, you know, and then, and I just, that was my passion then of of actually being able to be part of a team. You know, for me, it was about being part of a team because I was always on the outside helping teams. So that's how I got there. And then to answer the question on the commercial side of things, it's, I think it's just, you know, I mean, Indy is a fantastic event as a whole. You know, when you can say to a potential commercial partner, hey, would you like to come and partner with us at the world's? the single biggest world's, world's one-day event and showcase, you know, your company, your brand and, and execute your objectives around that, it's, it's still very hard because it's very expensive. I mean, it's a million dollars to run that one race. You know, there's no, you're just not going to run it for less than a million dollars. So it's a lot of eggs to put in one basket if you're a brand or, you know, or, or a company. But by the same token, it's, it also is one of those 
those very unique events in the world that sits in a special space and, and you know, some companies just want to be seen in that area. So I think it takes just as much time, you know, it does take just as much time and just as much effort, but you do have a really good asset to sell in the event itself. And then hopefully you've got a strong team, you know, and, and driver and all the other combinations that you can sell down through the, the value proposition. Um, but yeah, the event itself is, you know, is, is really an, an A-class event. So um, people, people want to be involved. You just got to find it. Yeah. So you are back now, Damien. So what's the plan for 2019? What's the plan for 2019? Well, I was kind of thinking, B, that perhaps you and I should do a professional sponsorship workshop together. I think that's a great idea. Let's when do you, it. When do you want to do it? How does a sad day, January the 19th sound? Yeah, I'm pretty free on that day. That sounds good to me. Anyone would think we'd discussed this before we started? I know, I know. <laughs> oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't keep a straight face, sorry. That's all right. Um, how does Bayview on the park at... Albert Park sound. Sounds great. Look, I think uh, I think it would be fantastic, you know, to get together you and I and and you know share not only some of the some of the stories but some of the knowledge that we've you know that we've both come across over our our journey in this in this industry and 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 some of the best practice um, elements you know to to talk to you know talk to these people out here that are you know listening to your podcast and 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 others to help. Uh, get along because you know at the end of the day I think you know we all have dreams and ambitions at, at varying levels and to get to those dreams and ambitions most of the time it's going to require some type of commercial assistance slash sponsorship so um, there's there's so many there's so many things that I think people can you know people can get from doing it properly and, and that is to even you know live a life that and maybe just dream about at the moment um, if you understand the business of sponsorship it will help you get a lot further on to make that potentially reality. Awesome. So nine to five sounds good for you? Nine to five sounds good for me as long as you're organising the coffee before we start. Oh, yes, definitely have coffee. Good, good. Um, and we would definitely have a booking sheet on both of our websites. So you can head to motivatetraining.com.au forward slash workshop and it will be on the signatureseriesgroup.com. Yep. Slash workshop as well, and the links will be into the show notes. So, yeah, as Damien was saying, guys, it's a great opportunity to come to this workshop. It's going to be very hands on. Um, our objective at the end of the day is for you guys to have obviously better understanding on what is sponsorship, but more importantly, on how to gain sponsorship. And, you know, as you can hear, Damien and I are really passionate about sponsorship, and we want to help everyone as much as possible within the arena of motorsport, specifically for this workshop. Um, so if you're interested on Saturday the 19th of January in Melbourne, we'd love to have you along. So head to our website and book your seats today. And if you've got any questions, as I said, you can either give myself a call at Motivate Training on one three hundred nine four seven nine two seven, or contact Damon. So, Damon, thanks very much for your time and expertise today. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time too, Ben. Thanks for uh, like I said, thanks for making the opportunity possible. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to having you know to working you know with you and and with with all your connections and and database. I think we'll uh, I think you know not only will we have a lot of fun, but we'll uh, We'll do a lot of good work together. Fantastic. And no doubt we'll have you again on the show and we'll have a different theme around sponsorships. You can pick it. Cool. <laughs> I love to chat, so let me know. All right. Thanks very much, Damon. All right. See you later. Bye.
Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I really hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. Now, remember all the show notes with the links and the specials mentioned in today's show are available over at motivatetraining.com.au. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate if you could head to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Motorsport Coaching, subscribe and leave us a review. Each week, I'll read them out and you'll go into monthly draw to win a fantastic prize. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at motivatetraining.com.au or head over to our Facebook page at Motivate to Tea. Until next time, take care. Okay.